So he got uh, in touch with the folks that control uh, controlled garbage up in New York and Long mm. Island, and there's some interesting characters involved in that story. Uh, the mob. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some <laughs> and, of my Brittany's. Uh, so what he did is he uh, hired a tugboat to carry a barge full of tons and t- thousands of tons of trash uh, down the coast, and he was going to make energy out of that, right? Hi, everyone. I'm Josh McCormick, and this is Salud Talks. Amid a global pandemic, most find themselves inside their homes more than ever. While this is tough for some and easier for others, one thing is apparent. Many are asking some tough questions, including, are the systems that are currently in place operating in the best interest of everyone? One system that's been in question for a while is how our local, state, and federal governments, as well as every citizen in the country, practices sustainability. In January, we sat down with government officials from Rework San Antonio, an agency of the city's solid waste management department that aims to connect businesses to cost-effective recycling solutions and promote those businesses amongst consumers who value social responsibility. Brian Halverson, Environmental Services Manager, Felicia Madison, Special Project Manager, and Rachel Bautista, Solid Waste Recycling Coordinator, join us to discuss their work and how we all can focus on creating better sustainability in our communities. So why don't we go ahead and start by introducing you all to our audience, what you do, a little bit about what got you to work with Reworks SA. So my name is Brian Halverson. I'm originally from the Northwest. I came down here and started with the city of San Antonio about 10 years ago. Um... I worked in solid waste most of that time, the solid waste management department, and was uh, invited back to start up a commercial recycling program. Worked with uh, Felicia, who's who actually came up with the name Reworks SA, uh, Rachel, and a couple of other teammates to to get it launched back in 2018. Um, hi, my name is Rachel Bautista. I'm originally a Porter Town girl, and but um, I came over here and finished school right here in San Antonio. It's a very diverse city, so I'm glad I was able to move uh, with the department. I've been eight years with solid waste management, and have, during those years, I've been able to work in different parts of the department, and now under Brian and Felicia with Reworks Essay and Multifamily, it's even better because it's a whole different field in trying to help the community know about recycling. Hi, my name is Felicia Madison, and I am the project manager for Reworks SA, the special projects manager. Uh, I've been with the city for a little over 21 years, and I started off selling the city with Visit San Antonio uh, for the first 18 years, and then I've been here at uh, Solid Waste Management with the Reworks program. So I went from selling our city to sustaining our city. Wonderful. What was that transition? How did you go from working from more of that side of it to this side of it? Actually, um, the visit went private, okay. and I had over 18 years with the city, so I wanted to stay with the city. And uh, Mr. McCary and Brian um, opened had open arms for me to come and help develop, build the program. So um, under Brian's leadership, we've done a great job. Awesome. And going back to, as Brian mentioned, the name, how'd you come up with that? What was the idea? Well, I just, you know, we were just kind of all sitting in the room, and one of the things we were, were thinking, okay, what we, we're trying to help people rethink what they're doing with waste. So we know reduce, reuse, you know, recycle. So then I'm thinking, well, we're talking to businesses, so rework, kind of rework the way they think, rework SA, because we're talking to San Antonio businesses. And we kind of, that name kind of stuck with us. We liked it. So why don't we uh, also, before we jump in, um, get a little bit of background on the organization, kind of talk about its beginnings, what was your original mission, how has that changed over the years? 
So back in 2010, the city adopted the Recycling and Resource Recovery Plan. They updated it in 2013. They're working on another update. And that is essentially the strategic plan for the department. It includes three major goals. One is about single-family residential recycling, which is collected by the city. They want to reach 60% recycling or, or diversion from the landfill by 2025. The second goal is about multifamily recycling and making it equally accessible, just like it is for single-family recycling. And then the final one is to improve recycling opportunities for businesses. So that was something that the department and the city wanted to do. They'd been working on it um, a little bit over time, uh, and then it was sort of time to put rubber to the road. So uh, my predecessor, uh, Alicia Nockenauer, started uh, holding, she put together stakeholder meetings and with folks from not-for-profits, from private business, from haulers, from the university community, all over the place. And um, when she moved on, I, uh, I was hired back to the department and took off from there. Felicia uh, helped me build some of those uh, stakeholder group or build the stakeholder group even larger. Um, and we talked to them about what it is that was holding them back. For those businesses that were recycling, why did they do it? And for those that weren't, what was it that was holding them back? What were the obstacles? And we really designed the program based on what they said their needs were. Could you all talk about the background in this issue? When did recycling first kind of hit the mainstream dialogue as a way to take old commodities and transform them into new things? So there's a really fun story about how uh, a lot of this became to the public view. Um, Back in, I think it was 1986, there was a gentleman, last name of Harrelson, who uh, was from Mobile, Alabama. He grew up as a sharecropper in, in the 30s, and they made everything at home. They didn't have any waste. And he tells a story about how they once bought a 50-pound bag of flour and it had flowers uh, imprinted on it and not to waste it. His mother made dresses out of it for his sisters. So they didn't produce any waste. And and then, you know, as the rise of consumerism really started to pick up around uh, and after World War II, he began to see this waste and thought, you know what, you know, we need to do something about this. He was going to make a waste energy plant. But as he was traveling, groups of uh, concerned citizens saw that garbage and said, you know, we don't want it in our state. We feel like it's dangerous. And it became a huge thing. And uh, as they moved around the coast and even off the coast, you know, they were followed by the news media. And it became a, a a big story. And lots of people talked about the garbage barge and where is it now sort of a thing. And this is along the same time that the... Uh, federal government had had updated standards for landfills, meaning that they had to be lined with clay and plastic. They were a lot more um, environmentally sound to protect groundwater and what have you. So a lot of smaller landfills were closing down, and there was a scare that, hey, we're, we're going to run out of landfill space in this country, so we need to do something else with this waste, and it you know it's terrible stuff. So that's kind of when the recycling movement started, uh, and it really started to pick up steam at that point. And there's kind of a nexus. So historically, we have sent a lot of that material overseas to China. And the reason we did that is because we were buying a lot of stuff from China. And we were sending these huge container ships back to China, basically full of rocks. They needed to have some sort of ballast on their way back. Um, and then somebody had the bright idea, hey, why don't we ship them you know, recyclable material? So they ended up doing that for a long time. And China took a lot of this material, regardless of the of the quality that was that it was in, 
and um, made new things out of it, filled up those same container ships and shipped it back to us. Now their economy has evolved. They have a much larger middle class now and they have their own source of waste. So they have said recently, I believe in 2018, they announced their national sword policy that said we're not going to take any but the most pristine recyclables from the U.S. now, and the U.S. is learning to adapt to that situation. I think in the long run it'll be a positive thing, but uh, it has been a moment of, I guess, change and adaptation for, uh, for the recycling industry. What has your experience been, and it's an open-ended question, in engaging stakeholders, engaging people who might be maybe a little bit more hesitant to come on to this movement? Well, one of the things that we recognize when you're talking about business, it's about the bottom line to them. And so one of the things that we, we, we looked at the Deloitte study and we did some research and we found that millennials um, are more apt to do business with businesses that show social responsibility mm. uh, and they will go to businesses uh, that they want to work for businesses that show social responsibility and they are willing to leave a business that doesn't have um, show social responsibility. So one of the things that we did when we talked to businesses is we told them about, you know, recycling is can be impactful because as soon as you walk in the door and you have recycling, it's something that shows that you care about the environment right off. If you had panels on the top of your ceiling, you can't necessarily see that. But somebody walking in could say, oh, I see, you You got it. So one of the things that we talk to them, it's about retaining and um, re- attracting and retaining your workforce was one thing that we mm-hmm. thought about. And then another thing was uh, just engagement, mo- lifting morale, because we know that recycling is supported by management, but it's developed by the employees. And so we, you know, talked about how you can find your leaders uh, just through recycling, developing the green team, them putting things together. It shows some leadership skills. So that's the way we, we kind of looked at when we're targeting the businesses. Not only um, are we targeting the, the employees, but we need to look at what's in it for the C-suite level, you know, what's important to them. Uh, so that's one of the things that we thought about and, and kind of developed that, that outreach. Right. So you all are trying to stimulate more of a grassroots movement rather than a top-down policy shift. Is that so there's engagement from everyone rather than a legislative body handing down orders? We want it to be important to everybody. And, you know, sometimes spending a little bit more money, if it's engaging your employees, it's lifting morale. If it's attracting uh, employees and it's retaining, because that costs money. If people leave, you've got to retrain new people, so that's more money. So these are some of the benefits that, you know, in just gathering people around something that they would, they might be open to do it. For listeners who might be unaware of how the recycling process actually works, can you break down what happens once someone throws a can or maybe a piece of paper into the blue or green bins? In a way, illustrate why this process is so important and, and effective. Sure. Okay, so that is a great question because one of the main barriers to recycling is to understand the process. And the process of recycling is that you have the opportunity to be a part of transforming something old into something new. And this is done by capturing commodities to expand their lifespan. We'll be right back. 
Hi, this is Rosalie Aguilar, Project Coordinator of Salud America. As an organization, our mission is to help create a culture of health equity for Latinos. We work toward this goal through countless hours of research, writing, editing, and producing. If you believe in what we're doing and want to support that work, please consider donating to our cause at salud.to backslash donate. Thank you. Hi, this is Rebecca Jones, Assistant Director of the Institute for Health Promotion Research. Our organization serves as a research powerhouse to fuel Salud America's content. Here at the IHPR, we investigate the current state of health inequities in America and how that impacts the Latino community. Our research investigates cancer, chronic disease, and other health disparities among Latinos in South Texas and beyond. To learn more about the IHPR and our work, visit salud.to backslash IHPR. Thanks. Felicia says commodities. She's talking about uh, what goes in the blue bin and what goes in the green bin, the materials, right? So you throw your cardboard Amazon box into the blue bin. You throw uh, your empty soda can into the blue bin. It's probably Diet Coke. Uh, and uh, then it gets picked up every week at the curb by one of our trucks taken to what's called a materials recycling facility. We call it a MRF. And there, there's a lot of big machinery that sorts all the materials into their into like types, right? So your plastics go with your plastics. It separates ones and twos and then all the other kinds of plastics. Your newspaper and other mixed paper go in these places, cardboard and so forth. That all gets put into a big uh, press and, and bailed sort of into these cubes. If you've ever seen the movie WALL-E, they kind of look like that, but they're pretty big. They go into a truck or into a train and they get shipped to uh, a processor or a mill, so the processor might take a mixed plastic bale and separate it even further, clean the plastic, chip it up into chips, and then that would go to a mill, which then uh, melts it down and turns it into something else like plastic fibers for socks or a shirt or a backpack or a tote bag or something like plastic lumber. It's pretty uncommon for something besides metal to be turned into the exact same thing that it was before, um, especially for plastics and paper. But uh, yeah, that's the long and the short of it. And I would add that sortation isn't sort of a magic bullet, right? When all that stuff gets put into the container and then into the truck and smashed together, if it's mixed with things that shouldn't be in there, like um, tangling elements, wires, garden hoses, uh, wire hangers, or dirty things like food or oily boxes or unfortunately diapers uh, things like that it degrades the value of the material and can can cause it to not run through the machinery properly and it can be a danger to the folks that work at the uh, material recycling facility right i think it's until the residents clearly have an idea of the process that it takes for an item to be able to get recycled and turned into something new is that they then understand why this plastic can get recycled and why this one can't. Because mm-hmm. it, it, it's until you really get a lot of education and visually hopefully see in some of those education presentations, see the process, it, because not all of us get to work in this field and get to go to those manufacturing facilities, mm-hmm. is that makes an impact in behavior. 
So would you say that for folks who are very concerned about recycling in their community, but they find that their neighbors are not as concerned and they're hoping to make an impact in a very sustainable way, would finding resources, sharing that information with folks via email, sharing videos, things like that, um, that's a way that they can try to help bolster that? Yes. And I think one of the things that's important is a lot of people don't recycle because they're not really educated on or they may not know what to do. Like you you could be in shirts and the city regulation regulates certain materials that they accept. Then you come right here to San Antonio. You might work in San Antonio, live in shirts, but recycling, recycling is different. And when you think about San Antonio Military City USA, people are moving in and out of our city all the time. So they recycled where they came from in the Northeast, but the materials here are different. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's important that you learned what's in, what's recycled, what's accepted in your city. So understand the regulations and processes for recycling where you live and also where you are at work. Um, but engaging the community is important. But it's it's also very important to do your research, go online, and look at what the city is it accepts and what it doesn't. It seems poignant that the onus of responsibility is falling back on the U.S. amidst this conversation of environmental regulations, how are we producing and how are we protecting the planet. Does this issue fall right in line with a lot of other environmental issues that we need to be thinking about? It does. A lot of the benefit of recycling not only comes from preserving natural resources, but it saves a lot of energy. Um, And it depends, it varies depending on the thing that you're recycling. But for instance, Um, Recycling aluminum saves something between uh, 70 to 90 percent of the energy of mining and refining bauxite, which is what aluminum is made out of from the environment. So that's a lot of energy saved. That's a lot of fossil fuels not burned to to generate that electricity. And so it becomes uh, a climate issue too, climate and pollution issue. I find it interesting that a big theme of I think the conversation so far has been really about responsibility and and personal responsibility. A part of the consumer culture I think that we have in America is that it is someone else's problem, right? And I think what you all are advocating for is that it's, it's everyone's issue. If you drink the soda, it's your responsibility to put that aluminum can where it needs to go in order to be sustainable. Is that correct? Yeah, but not only that, Josh, this is a, a great opportunity for us to create that circular economy right here uh, where we're benefiting from it, where we're creating uh, green jobs, you know, so that we're investing in our own economy. that we don't have to depend on somebody else to take our recyclable goods, but we could turn it into something that's brand new right here and then keep reusing it and reusing it. So I think um, it just kind of made us have to go back to the drawing board, but it's a way that we're sustaining our city not only, you know, with, you know, not having as many landfills, you know, uh, but also that we are enhancing our economy. Can any of you paint a picture for listeners that illustrates why sustainability is so important? In other words, demonstrate what can happen to families, cities, the planet even, when we all are not focusing on this issue of recycling. So um, recycling helps everybody in the sense that it takes care of ourselves. We take care of ourselves, our environment. Because remember, the more um, things we don't put in that recycling can goes to the landfill. And landfills release um, a lot of different types of dangerous gases, even though we try our best 
to try to properly take care of those landfills, there's always going to be some type of chemicals that get released, and then we breathe it. And also, um, even though when the landfill gets full and we see it covered, it's wasted land. We really can't repurpose that land into um, creating it into a park into many, many, many more years. So let's try to be um, recycling um, helps save more of our land space. And also there's some people that believe, okay, well, what if I just burn the trash, which includes all types of items, even recycling items. And that way there's less items that I'm putting in containers, less items to be processed, energy saved, but still even burning, it's bad. So that's, that shouldn't be an option either. So that, that's why it's so important to, to recycle. And just think of where a lot of that plastic or the straws, it's not only on our land, but it's going into our waters in which, you know, um, little animals are taking the little, what were we talking about earlier today? Yeah, there you go. And then the plantain is eaten by the fish and they're eaten by bigger fish, but all of that started where they have plastic in their body now. So that's one thing. And then, as Rachel was saying about the gas emissions uh, that are going into the atmosphere, you know, you'll, you'll notice a rise on um, respiratory illnesses, you know, where people are affected with asthma or, you know, different types of um, respiratory uh, ailments that could be a cause from the, the gas emissions that are now being released, the pollution in the air. I would also add that waste contributes to climate change, right? Now it's it's a smaller portion of the pie, as you'll see if you read the, um, if you're familiar with the climate, ad- ac- climate Action and Adaptation Plan that was adopted by the city last, late last year, that uh, it's a smaller chunk of the pie, but it's, it's an important part. Once you put that waste in the landfill, it generates things, as Rachel was saying, like methane and what have you. It has been found that a lot of the times the folks who are causing the climate problem that have larger carbon footprints aren't necessarily the ones who are paying the price in terms of stronger storms, heat islands, things of that nature. And so there is an inequity in the effects of climate change. And to address that, the city has um, an equity component to the climate action plan. And uh, my understanding is that going forward, they'll continue to ensure or to work towards a more equitable solution to, to climate change. If we're looking at this from not even a bird's eye view, but more of a satellite view, really these issues, waste management, the impacts of climate change really started and are continuing in a handful of generations, really the consumer market boom, boom of industrialization. However, what the science is telling us is that these issues are not just going to be contained to a generation or two unless if we change. So is that a big part of the message you all are trying to work in is that what we do now will have long lasting impacts? Yeah, and I, you know, I've, I've mentioned this uh, with folks on my team and whatnot, and, uh, and anybody who will listen basically is that once you put material into a landfill, it's, I say that it's kind of the gift that keeps on giving, right? I mean, unless we go in and fish that stuff out, it's going to be generating that methane for years. And their modern landfills typically will have methane capture, but as Rachel's mentioned, we don't have a real solid understanding of fugitive gases, right? Things that escape. There's some great engineers out there, and I think they're capturing a lot, but no one's ever built a dome over a landfill. They're pretty big to measure everything that's coming out of that 
Um, and once you put it in there or once you burn the material, you know, those are, the, those are becoming, those management pathways are becoming more um, environmentally sound as time goes on and we learn how to treat them more carefully and, and manage them more safely. But once you put it in there and once you burn it, that material is gone. You know, I mean, you can't, you can't get that plastic back. And uh, so, or, or those, those fossil fuels back, you can't, you just can't get it back. So it's, it's, it's about the environment, but it's also about conservation. And I think that's a message that a lot of people, regardless of their political affiliation or any sort of ideology, can understand and appreciate that conservation is, you know, it's, it's a good thing. And it is multi-generational. It's something that, that will um, that will impact you know future generations. Yeah. When you talk about like waste, you know you're taking something and you're throwing it away. It has no benefit. Like if you were to take uh, old food and put it in a compost and get it composted, and it enriches the soil. But if you're not doing anything that's going to benefit our earth or or us in some way or another, you're just throwing away. You are literally wasting money because you're not you're not sustaining anything. So just in terms of if you're a bottom line person, think about it in that way and how we can help future generations. Thanks again to Brian, Felicia, and Rachel for joining us in this discussion on sustainability. To read more about their work, visit reworksa.org. To find this link and more information, visit this episode's webpage at salu.to slash saludtalks. We hope you all are washing your hands, practicing social distancing, as well as staying healthy and safe. Salute Talks is produced by Josh McCormick and the media team at Salute America. It is executive produced by Dr. Amelie Ramirez. The music heard on this podcast is produced by Bonus Points. Find Salute America online at salute-america.org. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and other social platforms at Salute America. Watch our award-winning videos on YouTube by visiting salute.to slash video. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen. Thanks for listening, and as always, we hope you enjoyed.